accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run-through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the penultimate episode of Season 6. It's called The Sound of Our Voice. Episode 25 of Season 6 aired on June 10th, 1998. This episode was written by Ronald D. Moore. Story credit goes to Pam Pietraforte, directed by Weinrich Colby. In this episode, the Defiant receives a distress call from a Starfleet captain stranded on an inhospitable planet is a very interesting description. Sometimes these memory alpha descriptions are are not what I would expect, and that one's kind of along that line. But Clay, we're joined by you. How are you? Mm, I'm good. They're on the Defiant, and everybody is salty. Salty. They've been through a long, hard season, just uh, as we all have, really. We're we're wrapping it up and getting to the end, and we're all, morale is at an all-time low, uh, podcast-wise and Star Trek-wise, as we move in. Not to jump way far to the end, but is... uh... Is this episode about Cisco learning that he is kind of annoyed by Cassidy Yates now? <laughs> we'll we'll have to. Um, that's a big that's a big portion of what I want to talk about. Actually, I guess so. We we won't spoil that. We'll just jump right into it. So we're going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. And we're going to break down the sound of her voice. Are you sure you're a captain, not a counselor? Oh, I'm sure. I'll let you in on a little secret, Miles. I dislike the whole concept of a ship's counselor. Me too. I mean, I I like some of them personally, but... But sometimes they just get in the way. That's exactly how I feel. But saying it out loud is almost heresy. There's this assumption nowadays that only someone with a diploma can listen to your problems or give you advice. Sometimes all you need are good friends. Exactly. So where are they? Excuse me? Where are your friends, Miles? Why aren't they helping you through this? All right, so we're uh, we're in this this ending stretch of season six, which has not been great for anybody, Clay. And now we're up to the sound of her voice, mm-hmm. which is um, I'm not going to say is a good episode. However, I'll say that this is a uh, this is a very frustrating Star Trek episode to me because I feel like I see what they were going for, and it doesn't work uh, for some reason. Like the the execution is just not right even though I think that the central concept of this one is like kind of brilliant and this would be a great idea for a penultimate episode of a series. If this season had been more serialized, if this was a, um, if the dominion had taken DS nine for this entire season, as we thought as mm-hmm. a possibility, instead of just six episodes at the start, I feel that the ending here, I feel that this episode works in a way there. I feel like this is a yeah. good way to kind of like sum up where your characters have been for the season and then move into the final episode. However, it doesn't work here, in my opinion, and we'll get into it. But what did you think? Yeah, I would kind of, I would agree with that, I think. I think it, it does work better if you are really getting a sense of uh, how frustrated everybody's been with the uh, with the Dominion and the war and all that kind of stuff. As it stands, yeah, it's it's just, they they sort of... F- they sort of have to do that heavy lifting by just making everybody kind of be a dick, specifically to Cassidy Yates. Mm. Uh, everybody seems cool with each other. It's just that when Cassidy walks in, it's like, Ugh, am I right, Bashir? And Bashir's <laughs> like, dude, I've been saying this since day one. <laughs> so you're going to stay on the bridge then? Yep. 
<laughs> just stares, stares straight ahead and she has to leave and everything like that. That's I've got uh, duties. i got duty to take care of. So I, I think that my – I don't know. I I really like to to get off on the like what I enjoy about this one. I really love this concept of mm. the voice being the only per like this person that you're going to rescue only being a disembodied voice and that they are kind of acting as a because they have nothing to do they're just talking to the crew members about things and it ends up getting into mm-hmm. kind of personal aspects of their lives and you get a sense of what's going on and in their heads uh through talking to this person. Uh the sci-fi twist is idiotic, and I don't understand why they did that at the very end. We're, we're having a lot of problems with time travel stuff in this season, mm, I think. But yes. we'll get to that when we get to it. But the good stuff is I really like the concept, and I think that the B-plot here is really strong as well. I think it's really good. Uh, the B-plot is the Quark and Odo and Jake thing. Yeah. You, I, you didn't I like that? I just, I, It's fine. Let's talk about I that first. I assume you didn't like it because it's Odo and Kira, is it? Yeah, yeah, I just really, I am not on board for this relationship. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know if, I don't know if I buy Odo looking the other way to such a degree. I don't know. I, it's a, it's a tough call for me. I like it outside of the fact that I agree with you, and I don't like the relationship existing in the series as we're watching it. Mm. Like I can understand them getting together, but I don't really like to watch them be together because I think it's grating in a lot of ways. And it's kind of annoying. I I think that this one does a good job of keeping Odo's characterization intact, where I had a problem in the O'Brien caveman Molly episode where Odo just is like, get out of here, you crazy kids and lets them run off and do whatever they want. Here. I, I think that they, they do a good job of balancing the fact that Odo has evolved as a person and he now kind of like understands the the viewpoint of solids, quote unquote, while also stating the fact that he would have caught Quark if he wanted to, and he's only going to let him do that this one time. It, it's like he's like this is the makeup for all these things or what you did for me. I'm going to let you get away with it this one time, but my my core characterization is still intact. Outside of that, I just evolved. Yeah, but like in the other one, at least they weren't committing a crime here. Quark is actively committing a crime. That, but he's only, he's like smuggling something. You know, it's not like he's having people killed. I could understand why Odo would be looking the other way. It's basically just trading in black market diamonds for some reason. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm on the fence about, I, I I feel like they could have, they could have done it a slightly different way where maybe, maybe he arrests the guy, but then he's like, uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't say anything about you. You know what I mean? Like, where he could still arrest the guy, but let let Quark get away with it or something. But I I understand what they're going for. I just don't know if I totally buy it as a decision that that Oda would make. The other thing I the uh, other thing that I like about it is that I like Jake and Quark together. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, I liked that a lot. Yeah, I was actually thinking that if they didn't have Jake go down this line of becoming a newspaper reporter. I would have been really interested to see Jake just become associated with the shady practices of the Ferengi as a career move. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it would be kind of like a splintering away from his father, who's the Starfleet officer who has to do this stuff. And he kind of goes under the wing of the Ferengi, the people that Cisco hated at the start of the series. And he kind of becomes into their mindset and is more of like this like shady black market dealer. He doesn't have to be like a bad guy particularly, but he gets involved just, in that. And- and turns into Jimmy Matchbox or whatever that character was he played in the uh, flashback <laughs> Earth episode. He grows a little uh, pencil mustache just like that guy and starts talking and jive and things. 
Yeah. I I <laughs> I like that. I I like this Quark and Jake pairing. I think it's like a an no, interesting fun, yeah. pair. Yeah. I I I much prefer this over Jake and Nog. Uh cuz I I think Nog is um you know, well, he's kind of grating, but uh I I like the pairing of of Jake and Quark because He's pairing. He's being paired with someone who is very confident in what he does versus Nog, who is not very confident. He's just like repeating shit that he's been told. Whereas Quark is a fully formed person and character, so they kind of having having a uh, he's kind of graduated from um, child hijinks to more adult hijinks. Yeah, and uh, I do like that. I think it's it's uh, it's a fun. It's also a fun way to get to know Quark a little bit better too, because of, um, you know, he's, his he's using the excuse of he's there for press purposes or, you know, writing, he's writing a novel or whatever it is. Right. I think um, Quark wants to, um, Quark doesn't have a son like Nog or Rom, Nog and Rom, uh, have that relationship. So he's, right. he seems like he would be eager to pass on his wisdom, which is what they're kind of hinting at here. And I think it's, it's actually a good showcase for Quark, I think, because it portrays him as competent and it's just like a it's a nice different worldview from the rest of them like you it's not particularly subtle or anything. He's just smuggling diamonds on the black market basically, but he he is a he has a perspective that's really interesting to look at and having Jake be there to sort of guide the vision and Quark directs him and how he goes about things. I think it's just really fleshes out both of the characters very nicely, as you say, because Jake's growing into adult problems at this point and he's learning from, from Quark, who his father particularly wouldn't care for in that way and wouldn't see as a good influence on him. Yeah, and Jake is still innocent enough that, you know, you could probably, get, if they keep pairing them up, you could get into some... uh uh, interesting ethical questions and stuff if they wanted to, uh, if, if you know, if they're not just playing it for laughs. Yeah. Because, you know, Quark does X and then Jake's like, well, you're not supposed to do that. Why are you doing that? And then Quark's like, well, you know, the, th- the third rule of acquisition is that you always take the third blah, 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 you know, yeah, that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but but that how, why does that apply if you're on a deep space? You know, that kind of stuff. I like it. I, I even like the Odo thing. I think I'll disagree with you. I, I think that this is mm-hmm. the kind of characterization I would want to see from Odo at this point. I don't need to see their relationship where he's dating Kira and they're hugging each other and sure. stuff like that. I even don't like the scene where Odo's busting Quark's balls and then Kira shows up and he's like, oh, my dear, and wraps his arm around <laughs> and they, they walk off. That's horrible. Yeah. But yeah, it's I, you know, um, I hope they swing it back the other way. And we get to see more of Kira's side of this thing because ever since they've gotten together, I feel like Kira has fallen off the map mm-hmm. and she's just become Odo's girlfriend. Odo's girlfriend. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that's the only way we're see- the only point of view we're getting from this stuff. And I don't really like that because I really like Kira as a character. And I think that's, you know, that's uh, unfair to do that to her. Um yep. But you know, I guess I guess I can understand what you're saying. That at this point, at this point, I, I assume Odo knows what is a big deal and what isn't a big deal as far as you know the shady goings on of Quark. Um, but I think it's just I think that's why in my head I'm thinking like there. I feel like it would make a little more sense if there was a half measure for it, where it was like Quark gets away, but the other guy doesn't get away. So you know that kind of I don't know. Sure. 
Um, but I, but I, I definitely know what you're saying. Yeah. The, um, I would, I would agree with that. I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily destructive to have their entire deal go down or anything like that. Because if Odo catches the guy, Quark doesn't get anything out of it. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, he would stop the deal at that point. Quark wouldn't necessarily get into trouble, but Odo doesn't reward him in any way for what he's done right. for him. So I think that they have to get away with the deal. I like the Odo, like Odo stepping away from his, like, dereliction of duty is, extremely not what Odo would have done in the early seasons. So I, I mm-hmm. think it's a pretty effective plot way to show Odo's change. And I even, as much as I don't like the Odo and Kira scene, I do like when they're wearing their tux and dress on the balcony looking down and they go into the, the hollow suite. Like that feels nice to me in a way that the other stuff of him putting his arm around her and them strolling around on the promenade feels a little bit forced. Yeah. I also really liked at the end too, when, uh, after, after they do come in in their in their formal wear, and he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna do it tonight," and they go up, and 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 Quark is like, "I I did it, I <laughs> yeah, beat him. I beat Odo." Quark doesn't know what to say when Odo comes up to him and says, "We want to do it tonight." He just kind of stares at him, and Odo's like, "Quark, are you listening to me?" He can't yeah, believe his yeah. luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what um, that's it for the B story. I like the B story. I think I think it's solid. Uh, let's talk about the A story, which is the major focus of this one. Let's get the time travel thing out of the way so we can actually focus on the nuts and bolts. I have no idea why time travel is any part of this story. Um, yeah, it was the only thing I was, I, you know, as it was getting closer to the, to wrapping it up, I I actually assumed this is what they were going to do um, because I was thinking like, all right, well, the, what's the twist here? The twist is probably that they're going to get there and it's going to be too late, but that's too easy. Um but why is, why is that too the- easy? I, I, I'm not saying you think that, but why do you think that the writers would think that that's too easy and not just tragic? Like, why does this big, why does, why do they need this twist? Because I, I would have been happy with yeah. two things. I would have been happy with them just being too late and she dies. And that's a tragedy, but it's part of this war process that they're going through. And the other thing would have been, I was kind of thinking like, if they wanted to do this time travel aspect, which to me is problematic because... If you want to get into the nerdy details, no one looks up when the ship was lost as they're head- yeah, heading out yes, there. Like yeah, so yeah, good point. the timeline doesn't line up. And then if they wanted to do that, I would have just had it be that little machine that they see at the end. I would have said that the captain somehow programmed this machine to talk to her to keep herself company. That was the first thing I was thinking was that it was going to be some sort of machine. Um but as they got more into it and stuff, I was like, okay, this doesn't sound I this doesn't feel like that's the way they're going with it. Um I think the I think the time travel thing is just there to put Yeah, it's not there for really any or any story or thematic purpose. It's really only there to put just like an, an extra little kink in, in the story. Um because otherwise they get down there and they find a dead body and it's super sad because they couldn't get there fast enough. I think that's good um, enough. I just if the story is about them talking to her the whole way, I'm fine with her just dying at the end and them not getting there in time for that. I'm okay with that personally. Yeah, I I don't know. I I, I mean, I'm not saying that that you're wrong. I just I can kind of understand why they did something like this. Um cuz that is that's uh, I, I there is a weird line or disconnect between, man, that's a fucking downer, and, oh, well, there's nothing they could have done anyway, so just focus on the positive, I guess. Mm. Um, 
you know, because it, it, if, if no one's if it's, fault, if they j- this, this eliminates the fault of them not getting right. there in time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they just missed her by like 20 minutes or something, then it's like, shouldn't well, have stopped for that haircut. <laughs> the Simpsons joke. Yeah. yeah shouldn't have stopped for that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then it becomes, oh, what could have we done different? Uh, what could we have done differently? Uh, you know, what's the failing here? You know, the, this captain's dead. And, you know, it's, it becomes a much more, not that it isn't tragic, but it becomes a much more tragic ending if it's just like yeah they just couldn't get the job done mm. um versus yeah putting putting this putting the time travel thing in there takes away blame um it makes it somehow less tragic and more it makes it more poignant than tragic let's put it that way yeah um I, that's funny because I, I i agree with that and i think that that's maybe what they were thinking but i i yeah. as a viewer wouldn't have blamed the crew really like i because I, I, so much of the episode is not about getting there in time. That's the that's the sort of motivation to keep the plot going and why they have to rush there. But so much of it is built around this story of talking to her, which may or may not work for you, that I think that I would pay more attention to that and not be distracted by the fact of like, oh, why couldn't they have, you know, couldn't have O'Brien put the structural integrity field up, you know, half a percent and they would have got there faster or something. That seems, it seems... It seems understandable that they would be concerned. At the same time, it seems like it's overkill to fix that problem. Yeah, I just think honestly, I think it's. I think they might have felt it. It's a. It would be a little anticlimactic for her to just be dead. Hmm. You know, I because I think you know you get there and they're going through and they find her and it's like up. Oh, well, we just missed it. Sorry, guys. You know, it, it just, oddly enough, I it it doesn't. It might not have the same uh, hook at the end there than if they put another little kink in the story and be like, oh, she's oh, she's been dead for five. Do they go to commercial? I can't even remember. Do they go to commercial? Because that might be a reason, too. I think they do. Uh, If they go to commercial, that makes much more sense. If it's like they get there and they're like, wait, she's been dead for five years. And then they go to commercial. That makes that makes more sense. Yeah. Because you need kind of a hook at the, at the commercial break to bring people back. Yeah. I just, I, it's one of those things. I always have these episodes that I kind of redirect and this would be rewriting as well as directing, but like, I always picture the, the crew, the shot I'm picturing of when they find her is that they, they find the body and you get like a shot of their feet walking up to only her feet are laying down in frame. So you never see her Mm -hmm. face and you, you never see this character's face. Her, her voice is the only thing that you ever meet of her, which you kind of do here, mm-hmm. but they see that mummified well, body of her, which ruins you know, it to me. I I also think now that I'm thinking about it, I think that going with her just being dead actually then puts the emphasis back on the race to save her, which might take it away from the rest of the story because then you, if they can't save her, and they missed it by 20 minutes or whatever then it does feel like a failure and you don't take away you're not you don't take away the other stuff from it mm-hmm. you know what i mean e- whereas yes. if adding taking away that blame element and, and putting the sci-fi twist to it does allow you to sit in the other stuff that was the point of the story um and you know it adds it adds an element of uh of uh um the the bringing her back to give her a proper burial is a little bit more poignant too than it would be if it was just out. Uh, yeah, she's dead. Um, mm, see, I, I, I guess I disagree about that as well. I, I think that the, 
I I don't think that the ending where they have this Irish wake is appropriate to me because to me it seems like all of them are having a psychotic break about knowing this person. <laughs> they all seem a little bit crazy and I would have preferred if this is indeed about the war story. Um why if if it is about that war story, I feel that there's more tragedy to not getting there in time and her being sort of a casualty of war in a lot of senses than this this idea that we just never could have saved her at all um mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's hard to say I, I don't really find it satisfying either way i guess yeah i mean well i think i think also i think you're you might be extrapolating it out or rewriting it a little bit more than than even the ending there cuz i cuz i don't really see her or her thing really as a casualty of war as much as like it's almost it's almost like a side mission they're doing that's that's separate from the war, which is allowing them the perspective, you know. Right. Because I mean, her whole thing is she doesn't even realize the war is happening. Yes. Um, yes. Obviously, it's obviously the time element is different, but you know, but that's the way that they play it is oh, she's out of the loop. They're out so far that they have no chance of running into the Dominion. So it doesn't. It, I, I think playing it like another casualty of the war feels a little bit. Like you'd have to really, if you really, if you wanted to go the way that you were saying at the beginning and really lean into the, uh, um, the, the dominion war aspect at the beginning and everything and make this specifically a element of, um, a more serialized storyline, then yeah, maybe, maybe that would be more appropriate. Yeah. I'm not sure. So I guess that can bring us into fixing the, uh, not fixing, but talking about like the way that they they get here with this story of talking to this character who's only a disembodied mm. voice at this point. I like this idea. I think they had a problem where they tried to do it with too many characters. And I would have just focused on Cisco talking to her because you were making fun of like uh, the fact of like, what does Cisco think of Cassidy Yates at this point? I think that the problem mm. is he doesn't have enough time to really formulate what he's thinking about here. And to to me, it's about he doesn't want Cassidy to have the same experience that Jennifer had when she died because of the service in Starfleet. And, like, that's why he doesn't want her on the ship and things like that. He never mentions this at all. So it comes across as he just doesn't like her anymore. And that's a big mistake. And I think that they water down the impact of the stories by having this character, the voice, talk to all of these people about all of their problems because – it almost seems like she's doing too much of that to everybody. And I would have been more believable if she had only connected with one person and that would be Cisco in that case. And so, well, and and I think that a lot of the the issue is that the problems feel kind of like they're made up for this episode because the characters have never voiced these concerns before. And Mm -hmm. I think in a more serialized season and a season that was better built towards this resolution, I think this is a really effective ending but as it stands, it feels like they kind of just made up these things, hadn't talked, had too many of them talk to this character, and then it wraps up and it feels like everyone is having this psychotic break where they feel closer to this person than they really should. I was kind of hoping when they cut to uh, to O'Brien talking to her when he was like mid-sentence and he stopped, she was like, so do you, you just don't like your family, do you? <laughs> they have some line about, um, he's like, she's like, can you talk to any friends about it? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, it's weird the script doesn't say, do you have any family you can talk to? But she does follow no. up on that later, yeah. Yeah, she does say that, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know, because I, I like I like that. I th- 
I think I think having her talk to only Cisco takes away again kind of what they were trying to do, which was to have everybody take a step back. And, and you know, if it was just Cisco, I think on the you would have on the other side everybody else going like, "Well, why are we doing this?" Like, you know, there's more room for for basically Worf's point of view. Yeah. Um, you know, who she he doesn't even bother to talk to her. Um, he gets an old Worf standby of being yelled. Uh, his idea is not taken seriously, which is a nice callback to TNG. Yes, <laughs> where he's like, "We're all in danger. We should get the fuck out of here." And they say, "No, sorry, Mister Worf." Yeah, but yeah, I think it was. I, I think the the point was to kind of to have to let all of these ca- characters take a moment to kind of decompress and step back, and just focusing on Cisco. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I. I don't. It obviously. It. It accomplishes something different. I think. Well, here's the problem with with that. What I think is focusing on a lot of them at once. The. I don't believe through the course of events of this series that anyone is really in a bad mood at this point. This has not mm-hmm. been. Uh, we talked about it in season four. Season four is like the season of loss. All the episodes have to do with like Jake loses his father and the visitor. Odo loses his ability to shapeshift. Uh, sure. Everyone loses something. This feels like an episode that fits at the end of that season because in my mind, everyone should be down in the dumps at this point. Yeah. But in this yeah. season, they took back DS9. Odo and Kira got together. The O'Briens saved their family from destruction. Bashir mm-hmm. is now... Um, Bashir actually seems like the most depressed out of everybody, interestingly to me. But everyone else seems like they're kind of okay. Cassidy and Cisco seem okay yeah. with each other. So it just doesn't feel like they earned the everyone is moping around and down the down in the dumps that I think this episode needs for it to be effective. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think uh it 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 um it oddly relies on <laughs> It oddly relies on you being aware of the serialization, but at the same time ignoring the way that the show is structured long enough to just kind of go with what they're giving you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like it, it's it's using the idea of, oh, we've been entrenched in this war that's been going on for a long time, which is something they've established. And, you know, they've been, you know, serialized their stories to to uh, to to show. But. It's also still episodic enough of an episode where they just are like, okay, for lack of – for argument's sake, let's say everybody is feeling this way at the beginning of the episode. You right. know what I mean? Yep. So you've got all these other episodes that are not exactly Dominion War episodes where you know things aren't really going that bad for everybody. And then you come back to this and it's like, okay, yeah, but again, there's a war going. Let's just say that everybody's been really battened down by the war and, you know, w- which is understandable because it's been going on for a long time, as you know. OK, we're at that point. Let's go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not it's that, that that's why they're not um, when O'Brien is talking to her. He's not like, yeah. And my daughter w- fell back in time. <laughs> And we managed to. I met her as an eighteen-year-old, and she was a bitch. I wanted but to get her. But then I threw here. her. Yeah, we just threw her back into the <laughs> hole because we didn't want to deal with that. Because I mean, you know, there's only so much you can deal with as one person. And luckily, we magically got our young daughter back, and everything was fine. And she doesn't exist anymore. The the Seinfeld version of this episode is exactly the same, except through the course of the conversations, the captain realizes she doesn't want to be rescued by these people who yes. are like, dumping all their problems <laughs> on her. That was kind of the way that I thought it was going at first, because uh, the first scene with Cisco, I think it was Cisco, and she's like, oh, "I I knew this guy in college, and I we went out for a long time, and he just kind of like touches his head and goes." Ugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> he's just gonna be he's gonna be pissed off that he has to listen to this dying woman talk to him about relationships at the academy for six days. I suppose that's the better Seinfeld episode, which is the gang needs to rescue this woman that they can't stand. So they're just like they have yes. to listen to her blather on about her relationship with the Andorian antenna. Uh she's yes, this is yeah. the um Nicole something from Mad TV is the voice. Um Oh, uh, Deborah Wilson. Deborah Wilson. Yeah, not Nicole. Deborah Wilson. Yes, who's the um, the black woman? Isn't that Deborah Wilson? Yes, because yeah, Nicole Sullivan's the blonde. Yeah. So, um, yes. yeah, this, she's she's good as the voice. Apparently, they auditioned voice only to get this mm-hmm. role, which is interesting. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and I guess uh, the 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 piece of trivia I read was that um, they the they didn't allow the crew or the the rest of the cast to see her until after filming was completed. Yeah. Which is interesting, yeah. but that feels more – I'd be more impressed if that was like a season-long thing. It seems kind of – Yes, all, yeah. Like yeah, if it's a one episode, it's like well, – I guess I could totally understand that actually. Yeah, it's like – I mean what's the difference between that and being like, here you go, guys. Here's the voice. It's intern Kristen. Right. Yeah, she's going to be you speaking know? off camera to you. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Um, I had one other thing I wanted to say about that. Yeah, oh, just the my, – my reason for narrowing it down to Cisco is because to me – Cisco's problem feels the most realistic that it's something that would be bugging him for this entire season. And it feels like it's the the item that would be discussed uh, in that way. And I feel that the other captain would have – maybe she doesn't go in depth about her relationship with this Andorian captain. But she she would have a perspective on being in a relationship as a Starfleet officer that mm-hmm. that I feel would be helpful to Cisco. And she's too generally just kind of like a helpful therapist person. Um Right. She doesn't pull the Admiral Cornwall thing of revealing that she is actually a therapist. She is a captain the entire time, but it just it the, the then how come how come Cisco showed up dressed like he was going to the club <laughs> to sit down and talk about how he doesn't know if he loves Cassidy Yates anymore? I would have focused on that. That that to me feels like that's a story that I understand those characters talking about because that's been the relationship that Cisco has as a backstory and his relationship with mm-hmm. Cassidy Yates, and I buy it. So. Sorry, go ahead. No, Sorry. I'm done. And Miles O'Brien, I find, is less believable because he's just kind of generally bitching about things. And yeah. that doesn't seem particularly O'Brien-y to me, which is the point of it. She's saying, why don't you talk to anybody about this? But it, it feels more made up for O'Brien to deal with things that way for this episode than it does for Cisco. I will say, though, I thought O'Brien's speech at the end of the episode Very was good. probably the the best dialogue he's had the entire it's series. It's a great – it's a well-directed final scene. The camera's moving. Yeah. They're moving around. It's uh, – there's a very long takes in it. It's a good speech. I really enjoy the the concept of that speech at the end. I think it's like a great mm-hmm. way for a show like this to kind of wrap up a, a season and head into its final episode. It's just that the, the context doesn't match what I'm expecting from these people this time. So it doesn't really land effectively. Yeah. And again, I think that's another thing that you can blame on – the fact that we haven't really dealt with the Dominion War in like six episodes or something. Yeah, that's true. He's giving this poignant speech about how, you know, it's the uh, it's the nice version of the speech that you always see in movies at like the beginning of boot camp or class or something where they're like, look to the left, now look to the right. By the time <laughs> this is over, one of you will be dead. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I always want him to deliver the uh, Pacino's Any Given Sunday inches yeah. thing. He's like, you got a claw for those inches. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's like the it's like the more positive, poignant version of that, where he's like, you know, we got to remember to 
recognize each other and, and take each other into account because by the time this is over, we all some of us might not be here. Right. Um, yeah. Which it's it's yeah, it's really nice. It's really well done. Um, but I think yeah, that's another thing where it feels like it would be even heavier if this was the seventh episode of a six episode arc about how the Dominion is just pounding them down. Right. This feels this feels more appropriate at the end of just the opening arc of the season. If this was the conversation about like cherish the things that you have because we've taken uh, we've retaken DS nine, but we don't know how long we're going to hold anything like this. Yeah, um, yeah. Even the stuff that they talk about earlier when Cisco gets into it and he's like, "Yeah, uh, we sent troops to try and free Bajor, but you know, you start getting into that stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot that was happening. Yeah, they haven't taken they, have, they haven't back, even uh, at all. Yeah, yeah." yeah. What did I say? You Beta said Bajor, Beta, but yeah, they, they, yeah, it's interesting that they've, they're trying to take back Beta Z, but they can't retake the planet. So it's just one yeah. of those nice things to keep on in the background. Yeah, but even there, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that happened because they haven't even talked about that in like five episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's the problem and, of not uh, knowing the map of start. Like you, you don't get a yeah. sense of where the troops are, really. So it's hard to track what's happened where. I also would be curious how this stuff played at the time because we've watch these two of these a week essentially and it barely feels like the dominion war is still happening mm-hmm. given the way that they've structured their season this season so i wonder what it felt like when you're watching these once a week with you know breaks in between if there were you know the world series was on or whatever yeah yeah that's true yeah the um i was looking at the dates of the seasons the seasons went for so long they ran from basically yeah. like january to september it uh, was one season. It's wow. just an extremely long stretch of a TV show being on. Uh, yeah. let's, uh, it's such a grind. T- old TV, I mean, not that new TV isn't, because I, I think you could probably, I think they, the shift is probably, uh, uh, episodes take longer to do now because they're all basically movies. Yeah. But man, old TV like that just seems like such a grind. Such a Doing grind. Like 22, 25 episodes. You get like two months. It's like going to, it's going to school. You get like three months off and then you just got to work for the next eight months. Yeah. And during that time off, you're just coming up with stuff to start strong going into next year. You know, it's not really time off. Yeah. You're just kind of you're and less stressed. Actors, actors too. You know, I mean, if you think about the way TV works now, every high-profile TV show has a high-profile actor in it. And uh, the ones that don't have high-profile actors to begin with, their actors generally manage to become high-profile, mm. you know, to varying degrees of success because they have – more freedom and more time to do that stuff. Whereas before it's like, you know, you hear stories about Michael J. Fox doing family ties where he's like, yeah, I would do family ties in the morning and then I would leave there and I would go and I would shoot back to the future all night. Yeah. And I'd sleep in the car for two hours and the ride back. And then I'd have to be back to do family ties during the day. It's like, there just wasn't time yeah. to do that stuff. Yeah. Yep. No, the, um, uh, yeah, well, should I, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this next week, actually. I'll, I'll continue something uh, there. But remind me about that thing I was going to say last time, Clay. I'm sure we'll forget. But anyway, let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then we'll come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about the sound of her voice. I never shook her hand. And I never saw her face. But she, she made me laugh. And she made me weep. She was all by herself, and and I was surrounded by my friends. Yet I felt more alone than she did. We've grown apart. A lot of us. We didn't mean for it to happen, but it did. The 
war changed us, pulled us apart. Lisa Cusick was my friend. But you are also my friends, and I want my friends in my life. Because someday we're going to wake up, and we're going to find that someone is missing from this circle. And on that day, we're going to mourn. And we shouldn't have to mourn alone. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed the content today, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file a couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff like podcasts, videos, blah, 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 lists, AMAs, all that good stuff. And as always, the captain here gets a special shout out. Special thanks go to Andrew Sherlock, Ben Douglas, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Alt 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Now we go to patron thoughts. If you're a patron, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them. Dwayne Hackett says, The sound of her voice. The first time I saw this episode, I fully thought it would be a happy ending. The idea of having an emotional connection to the loss of a character I'd never met before was certainly felt in this episode, something rarely seen in Star Trek. I only wish that the diminishing morale of the crew had been more noticeable in the season, save for Sisko, who at this point is the master of brooding, and Dr. Bashir, who lost that boyish smile many seasons ago. Everyone else's emotional states tend to be very episodic. Also, I like that um, the thing that used to be a secret now he's just telling to disembodied voices where they come back and she's like, so, being a genetically modified human, what's that like? Mm-hmm. It's because he... <laughs> apparently just spilled his guts to her. I, the other thing that I was thinking, which would be way too dark, and, you know, I I was like, what's what are the chances that this is like a Dominion trap or something? Right, yeah. You know, like, or they get there and it's like, oh, you've just been speaking into a recorder, and now we know all of your deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah, there's potential there. If they're not going to look up when this ship was lost, they certainly seem a little bit lax on everything else about sorting out what this person or this thing is about. It's a good point. Was, Dax, where was Dax this episode? She wasn't even on the ship, was she? No, she's only in the final scene. Yeah, I wonder where she was. Uh, I'll just say it now. Uh, th- this is the point I was going to bring up next time. But the the oh. the, the ending of this episode uh, does some unique camera movement when what O'Brien is talking about, saying that we're going to lose, uh, we might lose people, and we have to be mm-hmm. careful about it. The camera focuses on one person in particular at that point. Um, oh, really? Okay. And Terry Farrell was not in this episode because she had been given permission to audition for other shows. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's the reason she's not around. I think you knew that Dax does not continue into season seven. I've, I've kind of avoided saying it, but uh, there's a new Dax in season seven. So we'll get to that when we get to it. But. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Interesting. I you knew something, a, I think, because you've been dropping hints about... Yeah, I thought it went the other way. So, should we wait, or can we just talk... Should we just... You you give me your guess of what you thought was happening, but we'll discuss so, this more next episode. I thought it was going to be the same actress, but with a different symbiote. Gotcha. It's the, it's the opposite. It's, it's, the, it's the same symbiote oh, with a new actress. I see. Yeah. Oh, that's why she was on Becker, I guess. Yes, Becker aired yeah. at this time exactly. <laughs> it's funny because I just happened to I happened to watch an episode of Becker out of you know morbid curiosity because I remember that show being colossally bad, and uh, I've been watching Cheers, and so obviously I've been looking up stuff about people who are in it. And then I, there was an episode I, I just threw on on YouTube, and I saw that she was one of the main cast members, and I was like, 
I feel like there was overlap between this show and DS9. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Yeah, not really a spoiler. Everyone in the audience kind of knows that at this point, I think. If not, I'll put a little spoiler warning uh, at the very end. But it's it's also a 25-year-old show, so whatever. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more in the upcoming episodes. But I did want to mention it just as trivia for this one because they're, they're intentionally doing the ending there as a kind of meta send-off. Um, hmm. Interesting. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Samuel S. says... This episode has the same issues as the last couple. It's boring as hell. The longest trip to the fireworks factory the show has ever done. That being said, once the twist is revealed, it was slightly interesting, if not incredibly depressing as well. It's a two out of five. Norman Buckwald says, I would have had Lisa Cusack leave a voice log to Cisco, sensing that they may not make it to her on time with some further thought to all of our characters. Final words of advice to each one, etc. This can be achieved with the connection being lost to the distortion instead of her losing consciousness. It would have been a fantastic element for the characters in the episode. Otherwise, I have to say this is a good character episode, and it was a nice, quote, quiet before the storm type of feeling as well. I probably would rank this higher than most, but I would give this one a 4.5 out of 5. And yes, did you notice the obvious foreshadowing angle on Jadzia during the eulogy to Cusack at the end? So I would have read that anyway, Clay, and you would have uh, been mm. aware. That's uh, That brings up a good point, though. I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't do that with having, like, a, a final... Set the uh, the uh, Tasha Yar hologram, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, of that of that relationship to to be like you know they they get there she's dead you know I think that's the way they could have if if she had if they had missed her by twenty minutes I think that's the way they could have she leaves the final log as her final yeah act. yeah yeah and made it a little bit less depressing and a little bit and keep that poignant thing they were going for I think that would have been the way to do it yeah the, I mean the way that that would have played out is that the wake they play that log right and she's talking yeah. to it and. I don't know if that's more or less satisfying to have that character. Del- it, I think it makes sense for the episode, but I kind of like the O'Brien character del- or Bashir well, talking about it. I think I think they could have done it. I think they could have done it on the on the on the planet when they get her. Oh, like I uh, you know, because because you're sending down. I can't remember if O'Brien goes down. Is it? O- I think he does. O'Brien, Bashir, and Cisco yeah. go. Yeah, the three who talk to her, right? Yeah. So the three who talk to her go down. And they find out that, that she's dead. She's just – they've just missed her by 20 minutes. They all feel terrible because, you know, they didn't, you know, rejigger the warp core to boost the speed or whatever. Um, and then, you know, they find this blinking recording that they play and then they listen – the three of them listen to it there, which brings them a little bit of closure. And then at that point, they're like, what do we do with her? And Cisco's like, we got to bring her back and give her a few – you know, that kind gotcha. of thing. Gotcha. So and I then think, they give their version work. of the speech at the end. Yes. Too. Yeah. 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 Matt Ross says, this felt like two ideas that were not fleshed out at a writer's meeting. Suddenly, hey, let's mash these two stories together. Shmoopy Odo is distracted while Quark sells Mikasa vases in the phone call from the dead woman. They both have interesting elements, seeing some machinations of Quark's illicit activities and that weird time warp effect of the woman asking for help. But combined, not enough time to either, or there's really not enough to either story. I think it's a little bit of both. On the sci-fi year one, of course she's dead. The discovery of the fact wasn't a real surprise to my... Too much on how she is just a voice and running out of time. The fact that Odo let a crime happen to get laid or whatever is a little bit surprising. Overall, not really a good half or full episode. You know, it's funny. Um, when I said earlier that I, I, I kind of figured that this is what they were going to do, I was looking at the trivia on IMDb, and I mentioned, and it mentioned something about uh, it being loosely based on an Outer Limits episode. Mm. And as soon as I read that, I didn't know the episode, but as soon as I read that, I was like, okay – What's the screwy shit they're going to pull at the end? And I was like, uh, knowing the outer limits, she's been dead for like 50 years or something. Yeah. 
And so <laughs> as soon as I got there and it was like a husk, I was like, yeah, that feels like the other limits. <laughs> that makes sense. Zam Luclear Wessel says, I'm always tempted to skip this one on rewatch since, quote unquote, nothing happens, but it works unexpectedly well. The crew's problems are a little bit made up, but at least they're plausible. Captain Quirk says, this is an example of a story that could have appeared on TNG, but it works better on DS9. I enjoyed the performances of the cast and their interplay with Lisa Cusack. This is aided in no small part by Deborah Wilson's compelling performance as Cusack. I don't mind that they didn't save her, since this doesn't diminish the bond that the crew felt, but the drama is deflated a little bit by overcomplicating the narrative with a time travel component. Why bring time travel into it at all? Nevertheless, it's one of my favorite single-shot episodes of this season. Final comment, Cal Barrett says... That's... Sorry. I just... I don't know if this would have worked at all in TNG. Because it, it's it feels so rooted in... Character work. Character work and the the plot that they've been laying out for, you know, the last three seasons and whatnot with this war. It'd be really tough to dip in on the on the Enterprise and be like, yep, we've been blockading been blockaded by the Romulans for the past six weeks <laughs> right. and we're all the morale super low. I don't, I don't think it works at all. Maybe, if you do that, although I would say that my criticism of the episode is that the TNG ish characterization applies to the characters on this show too much for this episode's benefit. Like the, the problems are too much of a, we made this up for this episode kind of thing to me, which is a okay. TNG nature. Um, and so, well, I agree that I don't think this works as a TNG episode. The reason I think that it falters as a DS9 episode is because they use a TNG trait or trope to do it. Okay. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I th- I still think that they're that even though what you're saying is true, the stuff that they're drawing on is stuff that they that they have been working with yes. for three seasons. It's not made up whole cloth. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's it's definitely there is definitely a, like a middle ground where this episode exists. Kyle Barrett, final comment. An entire episode of The Defiant traveling somewhere? It sounds like Clay's worst nightmare. I love the idea of this episode, but the execution is just so-so. The crew trusting this disembodied voice and it helping them to understand their problems is wonderful, but it would have been worked better if the problems weren't so obviously made up for the episode and if there was more time to naturally build that trusting rapport rather than having a crappy subplot. I think the sci-fi... They didn't even, like, ask her her rank and number or any shit like that. <laughs> any, like, identification <laughs> remark? Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. just like, oh, she says she flew that ship. She must be telling the truth. Why would she lie? They can't They can't look it up, right? Like, if they start asking for inf- information, your next thing is, why don't they look this up and verify yeah. this and realize yeah. that they're three years out of date and none of her date... Like, it's, it's weird enough that during the course of all their conversations, no one mentions the date, kind of. You know, like when when the the captain would be right. like, "When did this Dominion yeah. War start?" They're like, "Oh, it started last year, nineteen or you know twenty five fifty seven or whatever year it is." And yeah. she's like, well, "What? Yeah. What are you talking about? It's twenty blah blah blah." And they all go, "What's so, happening?" Here's a question: Does it make the episode any worse if they get that out of the way, or I should say, does it make it not work if they get that out of the way early? If they, so they reveal establish- that it's a time travel problem. Yeah, or at the very least, they they look up and they're like, "Oh shit, this ship has been missing for five years or six years or something like that." That doesn't necessarily break the story because it either you either get it out of the way full, you know, fully, and you're like, "Oh shit, how is this possible? This ship has been missing for for six years. There must be some sort of weird time travel thing, or I don't know." Basically. You could still do that and still give them a glimmer of hope that they could save this person. Yes, because the, the time-traveling captain would not realize that she's dead at that point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, she, I mean, she could be lost for, you know, if she's saying like, oh, 
I've been I, I crashed five days ago and I'm the only survivor. And I'm the only one left. If they look it up and they're like, this ship has been missing for five years. At the very least, they're like, well, maybe she had sort of some sort of temporal bubble and got rocketed into the future. It's and, you, you know, that yeah, kind of it's just a distraction, I think, from what is like if that was happening, you would be too concerned with the mystery of why this is happening. No, you know, 100 I mean? percent. Yeah, I think that's the pro- that is a problem where it's like the more you get into that. You more the more you get into that stuff, the more it's going to take away from what the point of the episode is. Definitely, yeah. yeah. But I do wonder if there is a elegant solution to what is essentially a plot hole. And I hate to use that word, but it's kind of what it is. Just don't make it time travel. That's the solution. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's it's only comes down to that. I would have been fine with either the final log she leaves behind; they just miss her, or um. I guess that's the only solution. Like, I, I just don't see what's gained by having that her be dead. We we discussed or, it. We think it's just because they want to avoid the blame thing, but I, I don't buy that. Or make it less time. Do it like, have it be like four days or something. Sure. Instead of five years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, it's enough, it's enough time that it's still freaky and weird, but not so much that it would be uh, that crazy to, to, to look it up and be like, oh, that ship's been missing forever. I think you know I, I, mean? I, I personally like the machine as an artificial intelligence that she used to talk to herself because you that doesn't yeah. diminish what they get from talking to that thing because it is that person. I just – that would be my solution if you were not going to do any other thing. I would just – I would go with that. I think the time travel yeah. is just weird. I don't know. I don't like the machine thing because it – I don't know. There's something weird about like – I feel like – I feel like once everybody realized they were talking to a machine, I don't know if it would stick with them they as much. They just leave her body there. They just kind of like walk out of the cave and yeah. like, mm. Yeah, and like they have that thing at the end where they have that big scene. It's like, oh, well, we're having this moment of, of togetherness because of what this – not this woman, but what the machine she was with told us to th- you know to, to look into ourselves. It's just – it doesn't have the same – it doesn't – it it works on probably more of a sci-fi base, but as far as like a uh, emotional resonance, I don't think it would work that well. The machine can replace Dax as the character on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle's final comments here. I- it seems to me you do not like your family, O'Brien. <laughs> I think the sci-fi twist is... Worf, an- I'm your wife now. I think the sci-fi twist is an unnecessary complication, too, and it would work better if she'd only just died. But I like the final scene at the wake, and I buy that the brief relationship the crew had with Cusack did mean something to them. So in the end, the episode succeeded just a bit clumsily. Good final comment. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. Clay, what are you going to give the sound of her voice, the penultimate episode of season six? Um, I was interested by what by the votes. We got a two and a four. A 4.5, 4.5, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the comments capture my feeling about it. Um, yeah, it's a, I think there's a lot of good in this, maybe good concepts that are not particularly executed very well, but I really like the idea of what they were doing. It's just as an episode of TV, I think it falls a little bit short. So for me, this is like definitionally a two, how I think of it. It's just, it's a, a decent idea that has some problems with it. Yeah, I I want to give it a three, but now I feel I feel called out by the fact that you pointed out that I haven't given any twos all season. 
which is just interesting. You've given twos before, so it's just this season, which is uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess I think I'm. I think I'm getting. Uh, I think the the middle of the road ones are all just kind of running together quality wise for me. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go with a two. I'll give this one a two. All right, we both give it a ah, two. I feel bad about that though. I don't know why I feel bad about that. You think the episode's better than the two? I think I do. I don't. I think it's well. Uh, it's fine if you want to give it a three. It can have that little bit of uh, being the season that Clay never gave anything a two, which is a nice little uh, badge of honor to wear. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with a three because I think it. Uh, I don't know. Two and a half, <laughs> low three. Pick, flip a coin. It'll be either one of those. I'll flip a coin when this is over and let you guys know. So Clay gives it either a three or a two. I'm going to give it a two. I like it though. I uh, I'd rather have episodes yeah. like this than I Times Orphan. So take that's it. the thing is like I I I in, I thought it was decently done and I thought it was fairly interesting. Um, it didn't make me roll my eyes like some of the other ones have, but I don't think that it's all. I think there's a better as we kind of hashed out. I think there's probably a better episode in there. Um. Yeah, maybe that's the definition of a two, mm, I guess. That's mine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll go with a two. We're both giving it a two. Rock, uh, write it down. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed the content, social media links are all down below. Twitter, uh, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Discord. You can join the Discord, join the conversation. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. It's much appreciated. And then there's a Teespring link if you want some T-shirts. You can get the uh, long way to go for a ham sandwich shirt, which is up there. Um, that's it. Has anybody bought one of those? No, I don't think so, which is unfortunate because I like it. But uh, maybe I'll buy it for myself. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, no, I, I'm uh, I'm out of things to plug at the moment, I think. We're done. The disembodied voice that is Clay is going to sign off now. I'm driving I've over dead to for, find your dead body. I've been, <laughs> I've been done with this podcast for five years. Uh, all right, so Clay, this episode is going to post on um, this uh, September... 13th, 2019. What? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Who's the president right now? You're not... <laughs> I think I'll just go out without an answer on that. That's excellent. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> we will see you next time with the final episode of Season 6. It's Tears of the Prophets. See you. See you.